Section 63 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Carpenter. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D section sixty three appendix to the reign of james i part three the public was entirely free from the danger and expense of a standing army while james was vaunting his divine vicegerency and boasting of his high prerogative he possessed not so much as a single regiment of guards to maintain his extensive claims a sufficient proof that he sincerely believed his pretensions to be well grounded and a strong presumption that they were at least built on what were then deemed plausible arguments the militia of england amounting to one hundred and sixty thousand men was the sole defence of the kingdom it is pretended that they were kept in good order during his reign the city of london procured officers who had served abroad and who taught the trained bands their exercises in artillery garden a practice which had been discontinued since fifteen eighty eight all the counties of england in emulation of the capital were fond of showing a well-ordered and well-appointed militia it appeared that the natural propensity of men towards military shows and exercises will go far with a little attention in the sovereign towards exciting and supporting this spirit in any nation the very boys at this time in mimicry of their elders enlisted themselves voluntarily into companies elected officers and practised the discipline of which the models were every day exposed to their view sir edward harwood in a memorial composed at the beginning of the subsequent reign says that england was so unprovided with horses fit for war that two thousand men could not possibly be mounted throughout the whole kingdom at present the breed of horses is so much improved that almost all those which are employed either in the plough wagon or coach would be fit for that purpose the disorders of ireland obliged james to keep up some forces there and put him to great expense the common pay of a private man in the infantry was eight pence a day a lieutenant two shillings an ensign eighteen pence the armies in europe were not near so numerous during that age and the private men we may observe were drawn from a better rank than at present and approaching nearer to that of the officers in the year fifteen eighty three there was a general review made of all the men in england capable of bearing arms and these were found to amount to one million one hundred and seventy-two thousand men according to raleigh it is impossible to warrant the exactness of this computation or rather we may fairly presume it to be somewhat inaccurate but if it approached near the truth england was probably since that time increased in populousness the growth of london in riches and beauty as well as in number of inhabitants has been prodigious from sixteen hundred it doubled every forty years and consequently in sixteen eighty 
it contained four times as many inhabitants as at the beginning of the century it has ever been the centre of all the trade in the kingdom and almost the only town that affords society and amusement the affection which the english bear to a country life makes the provincial towns to be little frequented by the gentry nothing but the allurements of the capital which is favoured by the residence of the king and by being the seat of government and of all the courts of justice can prevail over their passion for their rural villas london at this time was almost entirely built of wood and in every respect was certainly a very ugly city the earl of arundel first introduced the general practice of brick buildings the navy of england was esteemed formidable in elizabeth's time and yet it consisted only of thirty-three ships besides pinnaces and the largest of these would not equal one-fourth rates at present raleigh advises never to build a ship of war above six hundred tons james was not negligent of the navy in five years preceding sixteen twenty three he built ten new ships and expended fifty thousand pounds a year on the fleet by raleigh's account in his discourse of the first invention of shipping the fleet in the twenty-fourth of the queen consisted only of thirteen ships and was augmented afterwards eleven he probably reckoned some to be pinnaces which coke called ships besides the value of thirty-six thousand pounds in timber which he annually gave from the royal forests the largest ship that ever had come from the english docks was built during this reign she was only one thousand four hundred tons and carried sixty-four guns the merchant ships in cases of necessity were instantly converted into ships of war the king affirmed to the parliament that the navy had never before been in so good a condition every session of parliament during this reign we meet with grievous lamentations concerning the decay of trade and the growth of popery such violent propensity have men to complain of the present times and to entertain discontent against their fortune and condition the king himself was deceived by these popular complaints and was at a loss to account for the total want of money which he heard so much exaggerated it may however be affirmed that during no preceding period of english history was there a more sensible increase than during the reign of this monarch of all the advantages which distinguish a flourishing people not only the peace which he maintained was favourable to industry and commerce his turn of mind inclined him to promote the peaceful arts and trade being as yet in its infancy all additions to it must have been the more evident to every eye which was not blinded by melancholy prejudices by an account which seems judicious and accurate it appears that all the seamen employed in the merchant service amounted to ten thousand men which probably exceeds not the fifth part of their present number sir thomas overbury says that the dutch possessed three times more shipping than the english but that their ships were of inferior burden to those of the latter sir william monson computed the english naval power to be little or nothing inferior to the dutch which is surely an exaggeration 
the dutch at this time traded to england with six hundred ships england to holland with sixty only a catalogue of the manufacturers for which the english were then eminent would appear very contemptible in comparison of those which flourish among them at present almost all the more elaborate and curious arts were only cultivated abroad particularly in italy holland and the netherlands shipbuilding and the founding of iron cannon were the sole in which the english excelled they seem indeed to have possessed alone the secret of the latter and great complaints were made every parliament against the exportation of english ordnance nine-tenths of the commerce of the kingdom consisted in woollen goods wool however was allowed to be exported till the nineteenth of the king its exportation was then forbidden by proclamation though that edict was never strictly executed most of the cloth was exported raw and was dyed and dressed by the dutch who gained it is pretended seven hundred thousand pounds a year by this manufacture a proclamation issued by the king against exporting cloth in that condition had succeeded so ill during one year by the refusal of the dutch to buy the dress cloth that great murmurs arose against it and this measure was retracted by the king and complained of by the nation as if it had been the most impolitic in the world it seems indeed to have been premature in so little credit was the fine english cloth even at home that the king was obliged to seek expedients by which he might engage the people of fashion to wear it the manufacture of fine linen was totally unknown in the kingdom the company of merchant adventurers by their patent possessed the sole commerce of woollen goods though the staple commodity of the kingdom an attempt made during the reign of elizabeth to lay open this important trade had been attended with bad consequences for a time by a conspiracy of the merchant adventurers not to make any purchases of cloth and the queen immediately restored them their patent it was the groundless fear of a like accident that enslaved the nation to the more exclusive companies which confined so much every branch of commerce and industry the parliament however annulled in the third of the king the patent of the spanish company and the trade to spain which was at first very insignificant soon became the most considerable in the kingdom it is strange that they were not thence encouraged to abolish all the other companies and that they went no further than obliging them to enlarge their bottom and to facilitate the admission of new adventurers a board of trade was erected by the king in sixteen twenty two one of the reasons assigned in the commission is to remedy the low price of wool which begat complaints of the decay of the woollen manufactory it is more probable however that this fall of prices proceeded from the increase of wool the king likewise recommends it to the commissioners to inquire and examine whether a greater freedom of trade and an exemption from the restraint of exclusive companies would not be beneficial men were then fettered by their own prejudices and the king was justly afraid of embracing a bold measure whose consequences might be uncertain the digesting of a navigation act of a like nature with the famous one executed afterwards by the republican parliament 
is likewise recommended to the commissioners the arbitrary powers then commonly assumed by the privy council appear evidently through the whole tenor of the commission the silk manufacture had no footing in england but by james direction mulberry trees were planted and silkworms introduced the climate seems unfavorable to the success of this project the planting of hops increased much in england during this reign greenland is thought to have been discovered about this period and the whale fishery was carried on with success but the industry of the dutch in spite of all opposition soon deprived the english of this source of riches a company was erected for the discovery of the northwest passage and many fruitless attempts were made for that purpose in such noble projects despair ought never to be admitted to the absolute impossibility of success be fully ascertained the passage to the east indies had been opened to the english during the reign of elizabeth but the trade to those parts was not entirely established till this reign when the east india company received a new patent enlarged their stock to one million five hundred thousand pounds and fitted out several ships on these adventures in sixteen o nine they built a vessel of twelve hundred tons the largest merchant ship that england had ever known she was unfortunate and perished by shipwreck in sixteen eleven a large ship of the company assisted by a pinnace maintained five several engagements with a squadron of portuguese and gained a complete victory over forces much superior during the following years the dutch company was guilty of great injuries towards the english in expelling many of their factors and destroying their settlements but these violences were resented with a proper spirit by the court of england a naval force was equipped under the earl of oxford and lay in wait for the return of the dutch east india fleet by reason of crossed winds oxford failed of his purpose and the dutch escaped some time after one rich ship was taken by vice admiral merwin and it was stipulated by the dutch to pay seventy thousand pounds to the english company in consideration of the losses which that company had sustained but neither this stipulation nor the fear of reprisals nor the sense of that friendship which subsisted between england and the states could restrain the avity of the dutch company or rendered them equitable in their proceedings towards their allies impatient to have sole possession of the spice trade which the english then shared with them they assumed a jurisdiction over a factory of the latter in the island of amboyna on very improbable and even absurd pretenses seized all the factors with their families and put them to death with the most inhuman tortures this dismal news arrived in england at the time when james by the prejudices of his subjects and the intrigues of his favorite were constrained to make a breach with spain and he was obliged after some remonstrances to acquiesce in this indignity from a state whose alliance was now become necessary to him it is remarkable that the nation almost without a murmur submitted to this injury from their protestant confederates an injury which besides the horrid enormity of the action was of much deeper importance to the national interest than all those which they were so impatient to resent from the house of austria the exports of england from christmas sixteen twelve to christmas sixteen thirteen 
are computed at two million four hundred and eighty seven thousand four hundred and thirty five pounds the imports at two million one hundred and forty one thousand one hundred and fifty one so that the balance in favor of england was three hundred and forty six thousand two hundred and eighty four but in sixteen twenty two the exports were two million three hundred and twenty thousand four hundred and thirty six pounds the imports two million six hundred and nineteen thousand three hundred and fifteen which makes a balance of two hundred and ninety eight thousand eight hundred and seventy nine pounds against england the coinage of england from fifteen ninety nine to sixteen nineteen amounted to four millions seven hundred and seventy nine thousand three hundred and fourteen pounds thirteen shillings and fourpence a proof that the balance in the main was considerably in favor of the kingdom as the annual imports and exports together rose to near five millions and the customs never yielded so much as two hundred thousand pounds a year of which tonnage made a part it appears that the new rates affixed by james did not on the whole amount to one shilling in the pound and consequently were still inferior to the intention of the original grant of parliament the east india company usually carried out a third of their cargo in commodities the trade to turkey was one of the most gainful to the nation it appears that copper halfpence and farthings began to be coined in this reign tradesmen's had commonly carried on their retail businesses chiefly by means of leaden tokens the small silver penny was soon lost and at this time was nowhere to be found what chiefly renders the reign of james memorable is the commencement of the english colonies in america colonies established on the noblest footing that has been known in any age or nation the spaniards being the first discoverers of the new world immediately took possession of the precious mines which they found there and by the allurement of great riches they were tempted to depopulate their own country as well as that which they conquered and added the vice of sloth to those of avity and barbarity which had attended their adventures in those renowned enterprises that fine coast was entirely neglected which reaches from st augustine to cape breton and which lies in all the temperate climates is watered by noble rivers and offers a fertile soil but nothing more to the industrious planter peopled gradually from england by the necessitous and indigent who at home increased neither wealth nor populousness the colonies which were planted along that track have promoted the navigation encouraged the industry and even perhaps multiplied the inhabitants of their mother country the spirit of independency which was reviving in england here shone forth in its full lustre and received new accession from the aspiring character of those who being discontented with the established church and monarchy had sought for freedom amidst those savage deserts end of section sixty three appendix to the reign of james i part three recording by richard carpenter in seattle washington